A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. I am here with Adam Kruger, who is the VP of Sun Recruiting, a recruiting firm. And Adam and I actually originally recorded this episode several months ago. So we're starting out with an update and then we'll continue on with the rest of the interview. So Adam, welcome back to The Chemical Show. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, so let's just jump in really quick. What I really want people to hear is what's your assessment? And we're sitting here in fourth quarter of 2023. What's your assessment of the current job market and what's happening and where it's going as we head into 2024? Sure. So, I mean, we just recently sent out an update that we normally send out uh, every quarter, kind of just cluing people into what's going on in the job market for the chemical industry specifically. And I said something like, in a word, it's weird. And what I mean by that is just there's so many different factors bearing down on the job market overall in the economy, but certainly the chemical industry is included in that. I think as it relates to the chemical industry specifically, I mean, the UAW strike that's happening right now that's relatively new still is either already having an impact or is going to have an impact on the chemical industry because, you know, the automobile industry uses so many chemicals. I think there's like about $3,000 worth of chemistry in every car. Wow. So that's going to have an effect. You've obviously got all of the geopolitical things happening, which has really blown up in the last week. The last time we talked, it was just Ukraine and Russia. Now it's the entire Middle East is on fire which doesn't necessarily have a direct impact on the chemical industry, but it's just uncertainty, unrest. How does that affect supply chains? Are there raw material sources that are affected by what's going on? And then I say, finally, the housing industry continues to have its effect in a variety of different ways. But I think you look at housing start numbers, and I just checked in this morning, the numbers are still solid because there's such low inventory. But if prices were to drop and suddenly there was more inventory, housing start numbers would go down. And again, that directly affects the chemical industry because of how much chemistry and materials goes into that industry. So I'm still getting calls from clients who need help finding people. So that's positive. (laughs) But then I I flip on the news and I'm like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know how all of that is going to affect the job market. So that's why I feel it's weird. In fact, I just read this week in the Wall Street Journal, they said for MBA graduates, most of whom don't come into the chemical industry, although I am one, but, you know, consulting and banking tend to be big um, hiring, uh, hiring, I want to call it enterprises or, or businesses that MBAs go into and that, 
a lot of them are slowing down. They're recruiting, mm-hmm. delaying offers, not making offers, et cetera. So I think everybody's in a bit of a watch and wait mode at the moment, especially as it relates to employment. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, I've talked to companies in several subsectors in the industry. Some are, you know, relatively stable year over year. Some are down 20 to 30% year over year. But keep in mind, I mean, last year for a lot of people was a great year, maybe their best year ever. So you're down 20% from your best year ever. It's probably more like it was pre-pandemic. So I think that's a reason we haven't seen a whole lot of widespread layoffs. But if projections start to go down, you know, the next year over year, you might start seeing a few more uh, of the bigger layoffs like we've seen yeah. in 2015, yeah. 2008, things like that. Yeah, that's helpful. So, but, but so far you're saying it's, it's solid, but, but weird to use your oh, word, weird. not knowing yeah, sure think, where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the executives I talked to, I think everybody's in a bit of a figuring out what the planning is for next year. Everybody's obviously in their end of year close out, push to the end of the year and then planning for 2024. And there's, there's a lot of uncertainty on the horizon. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Adam Kruger, who is co-founder of Sun Recruiting. Adam specializes in placing chemical engineers into chemical manufacturing companies. Their main focus with Sun Recruiting is professional engineering and operations roles at all levels, and they've worked with companies large and small throughout the country. When not in office, Adam is busy with his family of five, bass guitar lessons, which I do want to know a little bit more about, and running, which I don't really want to know more about. (laughs) Adam, glad to have you here. Welcome to The Chemical Show. Thank you, Victoria. Very happy and honored to be here. Great. What is your origin story? What got you interested in chemicals and ultimately into recruiting? I would say it was mostly by accident. And I think that's the story you'll hear from almost every recruiter out there. I got out of school and it was kind of a winding path in school. I started out as a cello performance major and pretty quickly realized that wasn't for me. And then switched to psychology, but didn't really have, it was just a degree, sort of a side passion, but ended up graduating with that degree and coming out of school, not knowing really at all what I wanted to do with my life. I got a job with State Farm Insurance right out of school, and I didn't like that. So one day I threw my resume out there on Monster, and I got a call from a guy named John Peterson who said he recruited chemical engineers and he needed a research assistant. So I was like, anything's better than what I have now, I'll take it. (laughs) And this was in late 2006. So I started with him, and... Uh, basically a year later, the economy fell apart. 2007 was John's best year ever. 2008, 2009 were his worst two years ever. And so I basically hung on to my job, tried to make myself valuable. And by the time we were on the other side of that, I knew a lot about the business. John and I had gotten to know each other really well. and We were a good team. At that point, we decided to start our own company, uh, which happened in late 2011. 
And that's been some recruiting since then. So I would say this industry found me more than me finding this industry, but it's been a wonderful experience uh, on my part. I talk to a lot of other recruiters who are in other spaces and I can't relate to some of their stories because by and large, chemical engineers are very professional people, very you know bright, intelligent. That's the type of people I get to work with every day. Uh, That's cool, really cool. So tell us a little bit about Sun Recruiting. Sun Recruiting is, from a practical standpoint, it's placing chemical engineering professionals. But I would say I realize that not everybody's looking for a job all the time. So I view myself as kind of a hub of resources within the industry. And I'm looking to build relationships a lot of times I'll meet somebody, talk to them for that first time. And then it's another one, two, five years before anything comes together. But I have that knowledge of kind of what they would want to see from a job standpoint. Eventually, when that comes across my desk, I can make that connection. But we basically work any level role. So it could be entry-level engineer at a plant to up to VP you know, even a president president position at a manufacturing company, but it tends to be confined to that chemical manufacturing space. So we've done some work outside of that, you know, whether it's like a consultancy that touches manufacturing or like an EPC type firm, but it, it tends to center around, I call it chemical processing, which probably more, more accurately captures the, the scope of it. Awesome. Very cool. So let's talk about what's going on today in talent and recruiting. What are the key trends that you're seeing? I think for the last, at least the last two years, it's been an all out talent war. And I think there's a bunch of reasons for that. I think one of the biggest reasons in chemical engineering is just that there for a couple of decades now, there's been a lot more people retiring than have been coming out of school. So it's slowly created that talent vacuum. And that is mostly affecting the middle to senior level ranks. I mean, you you will always have that availability of entry-level engineers because they're coming out of school looking for jobs, obviously. Yeah. But getting those, you know, five to 20, 25-year people to move to make a change when there are so many good options out there and so many good companies that's becoming more and more difficult. And then you compound that with, now we have high housing prices, high interest rates. People are less mobile than they were, you know, even a year ago. A lot of the talent pools now are local because to move somebody, unless you have a really urgent reason, it's just not gonna happen. So I think those are probably the two biggest things that are contributing to a very low level candidate pool. In fact, your your point about the cost of living and how certainly today when interest rates are, I don't even know where they are, six plus percent if you're if you're looking to get a mortgage and I know rental rates are high, et cetera, much harder uh, case to sell your house and then buy in elsewhere. Are companies right. compensating for that? Are they making adjustments to their recruitment packages and their hiring packages to accommodate the higher cost of living? Is that what you guys see? It's slowly happening. It's not as fast as I'd like to see it for sure. And I think that's going to become 
kind of the talking point over the next year is your relocation offering, if you want a larger candidate pool, is going to have to be substantially more because someone moving from an interest rate in the twos or the threes to something in the six or seven, I mean, that's another, on an average house, that's another $1,000 a month. So yeah, uh, it, that alone is a huge cost plus, you know, just higher cost of living overall. So I think that's going to become something that if companies already haven't already started to take a look at that, they will, have, they will be forced to. I think it is most directly felt with what has been referred to over the years as kind of that passive candidate or the person who's not really looking, but would make a change for something better. Whereas before it was not a big deal to make a move, you know, housing was relatively stable your interest rate from one house to another wasn't going to change or it was maybe even was going to go down. Um, that made it a lot easier to make that move, that career move for, let's say, maybe a title or a nominal raise. I've got one anecdotal story of a company in the Midwest that's offering a $50,000 loan to help with housing costs. And then over a five-year period, that loan goes down. And if you stay with that company five years, the loan's completely forgiven. So I... Yes, that's a long clawback clause and certainly yeah. not traditional, but I appreciate the creativity there, recognizing that relocation is going to be a big deal, especially for a company that's in a, you know, not near a city, doesn't have a huge local talent pool where relocation is almost the only way you're going to get somebody. It's those companies that really have to get creative. Yeah. And it's kind of an alternative to the traditional sign-on bonus that gives it, well, and maybe it's done in addition to a sign-on bonus. Who knows? I think it's, if I was the candidate, I would like both, but it certainly mm -hmm. provides a bit of that long-term stability for both parties. Right. Yeah. That's the only company I've heard of so far that's doing something out of the norm, I would say. Yeah. I mean, out of curiosity, is it a is it a privately held or a publicly held company? They're privately held company. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've been they... seeing bigger lump sums and like, you know, companies doing more on sign-on bonuses that they're like, hey, maybe you should use some of that for relocation. <laughs> but it's going to, I think it's going to take more creativity than that to really move the needle for some people. Because again, we're talking about a lot of money, not just, yeah. it's not just a a few thousand dollars more expensive. It's a lot, like several thousand. So yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I think it's a great store. And I think as you say, we need to see more creativity in the markets and hopefully we will see. Right. Other than kind of looking at local candidate pools, how do you expand the candidate pool? Right. Cause I think that's always a challenge when there's a limited number of candidates. We've got a talent war. There's people obviously still interested in hiring despite mm -hmm you know, some of the challenges we're seeing across the, not just the industry, but across our economies. How do you expand that talent pool? We're always thinking about that. I think a lot of companies that have, say they want somebody with kind of that mid-level range of experience. Oftentimes they're having to expand that to maybe, okay, we'll take somebody with a year or two. So being flexible on that end of things 
a lot of times it comes down to compensation. I mean, many of the people that I work with that end up getting offers have multiple offers at the end of their search. So you have to be competitive. And yeah, I think there's companies, there's so much salary compression going on. I think that companies have to look at their current workforce and what they're paying them and look at trends, try to get information about what's going on. And if there's an adjustment that needs to be made there, you know, that's not related to performance, it might have to happen. I did a poll uh, back in January. I had 700 people respond. And my question was, have you gotten a non-merit-based compensation increase in the last 12 months? So something unrelated to your performance to company performance. And I think about 30% of people that responded said they had gotten something like that. So I, it's already starting. And I think that more companies are going to have to look at that. Right. And I think, I mean, it's a, it's a hard thing for a company. This has always been the case, but when salary inflation is occurring, let's just say the employees that are staying at the company are, they're getting squeezed on a comparative basis, right? So companies need to recognize that if they're willing to hire in somebody at salary X, they better be willing to adjust their own employees in an appropriate manner. Yeah. Interesting. But it's hard. That's a hard one to do. I mean, as a, as a corporate executive, those are hard, hard cases and numbers to make. I've thought about this some, well, quite a bit, because I've done a lot of salary work in this industry, but how much does it cost to replace an employee versus paying your current employees a little bit more. I would think the cost of replacing somebody and the knowledge they have, the experience they have, and just you're not, you're, you're knowing that they're a culture fit already versus bringing somebody in who's an unknown quantity, having to train them, having to develop them. Like there's a cost of that too. So yeah, uh, by not increasing and staying competitive with the industry, your chances of losing your own people grow and then that has a cost with it. So those yeah. are the types I think I think about when I think about this issue and how to how to address it, if, especially if you're a larger company that has a sizable engineering force. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen some data that says something like it's, you know, effectively six months worth of salary to replace that person, not, you know, f- not necessarily just from recruiting costs, which is one thing, but it's also the time loss, the training, the et cetera. So if it's six to 12 months, you can afford to nudge your existing employees a little bit. Right. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So, so Adam, we hear a lot about back to work and hybrid working. And obviously there's the hybrid working has been going on forever, but it became very popular during the pandemic, right? But we hear about this right. driving a reluctance to work at specific companies. I've always assumed that employees in the chemical industry, particularly those that are working in manufacturing sites, understand that those roles are typically on-site and close to the assets. Needless to say, though, is, is this aspect of being fully remote, being partially remote, having hybrid options, is that a critical driver in employment decisions today with with candidates you're talking to? It's definitely the number one question I get. Do I have any remote work jobs? So I know people are thinking about it. I don't know if it's necessarily preventing a company from having that candidate pool they want. But I would say in terms of motivators for 
you know, certain people, not all people for sure, but certain people who want that arrangement. I will talk to them and we'll go through everything and then I'll say, hey, you know, kind of tell me more about what kind of working conditions you want and or schedule. And they say the only change that I'll make is for a work remote position. So they're not otherwise looking unless that opportunity comes around. So yeah. I've always, I mean, I, I again, viewing, viewing myself as a resource, I always try to educate people. There's not a lot of those jobs in chemical manufacturing, certainly in the sales ranks, I think then corporate ranks, maybe even like design type positions where it's more desk work than actually being out in a plant. Um, so I kind of steer people maybe to look at those types of roles, but with the sales and corporate side, I mean, the trade-off is that you're typically going to be traveling a ton um, right. for that type of position. You might be able to work from home, but you're going to be traveling 50, 60, 70% of the time. So I think the industry is getting more flexible uh, in terms of, I see you know, hybrid work certainly has increased uh, 980 schedules, which is um, basically an 80 hour work schedule compressed into nine days. So you get every other Friday off. I think that's gaining a lot of popularity. Do you see that growing the 980 schedules? Oh, yeah, Because I would have thought that was going to go away at some point. It used to be only Gulf Coast companies were doing that, but now I see it almost everywhere. I think the Northeast has been a little bit slow to catch on, but it's pretty common here in the Midwest. And I've seen a lot more companies do that. And I think knowing that there isn't a whole lot you can do on the work remote end of things, I think that companies doing that sort of thing, it shows flexibility. It shows willingness to work with people. There's been an appreciation or at least a demand for that sort of thing among people who don't have those options. Yeah. Yeah. When I worked for Shell, we had 980 and it was a significant um, benefit having those extra Fridays. Um, yeah. Really awesome. So when we think about this and we're, you know, start tying into challenges and changes that the pandemic brought about, a recent article in Harvard Business Review, which I'll link into the show notes, into the episode descriptions here, stated that organizations must address workforce-wide erosion of social skills. And it particularly pointed out Gen Z, so the most recent grads saying, 51% of Gen Z employees state that their education has not prepared them to enter the workforce and that the pandemic means that these employees have had fewer in-person opportunities to observe norms, determine mm -hmm. what's appropriate, and really just kind of figure out how to really integrate into the organization and the culture, et cetera. Does that resonate with you? Are you seeing and hearing this with your clients? That is a very interesting question. And I, I thinking about the conversations I've had, especially over the last five years or so, as that that generation has entered the workforce, I, def, I definitely think it's real in terms, I used to get, this doesn't happen so much anymore. How it looked from my desk is I would get calls from the parents of students who are graduating from you really University. did. So you've experienced yeah. this helicopter parenting. Several okay. times. Many, many times either. Or even like aunts and uncles. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but that's died down some, I would say. I don't get those calls very much anymore. But I've had 
other, I mean, it tends to be the more senior level people saying, I don't understand this generation. I think there's an opportunity there actually, perhaps from a career coaching standpoint for people to step in and kind of bring the generations together, so to speak, right. or at least help them understand each other. I think companies are doing a good job with mentorship programs, especially larger ones that have bigger work, uh, bigger engineering forces. I think that sort of thing should probably continue to grow. And that could help, again, with the, the different generations understanding each other. And then as I think a little bit of the onus is also on the generation, you know, Gen Z people themselves. If you are someone who struggles socially and you recognize that, there are a lot of resources out there to help you, especially from that career coaching standpoint. We've made attempt to partner with several career coaches that are all listed on our website, and they all have different areas of specialty. But some of them, like one of them in particular, helps people map out their career. Like, mm. where are you now? Where do you want to get to? What What are the stepping stones that you would need to take to get there? And working with somebody like that can help with the developing your own social skill set, learning how to navigate work, the workforce, learning how to navigate conflict, that sort of thing. Um, so I, if, if you're, again, if you're someone who identifies with struggling in that area, then I would definitely seek out those resources. They're not very expensive and they can end up having a huge benefit for you. Yeah, that's interesting. I also think one of the things that strikes me is that Gen Z in many ways is a, it's a digital, what would they call them? Digital natives, right? They grew up in a digital world and they're used to connecting and communicating differently. So I sometimes think to say they don't have the same social skills, but I think generation to generation, they've never had the same social skills, right? There's always been different differences and evolutions. And I think as the industry becomes more digital, that it seems like it should create opportunity for yeah. people with different skills, right? And I think it maybe will even ultimately encourage different skills, mm -hmm. whether it be uh, hard skills or whether the soft skills and social skills that are required. Yeah, one of the trends we've seen, and maybe you've seen this too, is just like the use of big data in manufacturing and data analytics. I mean, those are two uh, small subcategories of engineering that are very much on the cutting edge. And there's starting to be degree programs at some of the universities that specifically are about data analytics, big data, using that in manufacturing settings. So that that could be the marrying of sort of the IT world with chemical manufacturing. Yeah. And are you starting to see more of that? People, more companies looking for a really robust data, I guess, data analytics as it relates to manufacturing? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's mostly with the very large companies right now because they're the ones that have the resources to pursue this. But a chemi with a data analytics masters, I mean, that's going to be... Controls engineering is the hottest thing out there right now. And that's going to be the next hottest thing out there, in my opinion. It's just yeah. somebody who can look at a chemical manufacturing process who's got that computer knowledge or the software knowledge uh, that, that big data has, and then being able to bring those two things together. That's where this industry is going to head. That's my opinion. 
Yeah, I agree. I think that's an, I think that's true. And I I mean, I go back to my time in manufacturing and data analytics were important then, right? But at that time it was statistical process control and we were looking at DCS systems and and the people that could understand the programming behind it and manipulate it were it was really beneficial, but we've we've grown leaps and bounds since then, right? In terms right. of of the technology and the data that the com- the industry is applying to manufacturing and to its sites, et cetera. So mm-hmm. creating, having people that have that skill set and continue to grow in that skill set, I could see is really critical. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. So if you could give one piece of advice to chemical companies looking to fill open roles, what would it be? I was thinking about this and I, if you're a small company and you don't hire engineers very often, I think there's a lot of education probably that needs to happen first before you dive in. Things have changed so quickly, on especially on the compensation front over the last year or two. So knowing what a competitive salary is for a chemical engineer right now versus three years ago is going to be a big deal. And just knowing the landscape overall, it's difficult to hire a chemical engineer, especially if you're in a location that's, I mean, obviously there's nothing you can do about location, um, but if you're in one that's, you know, less in demand, let's say, that's going to be a longer process. If you do hire a lot of engineers and you kind of already have that knowledge of where the industry is at, it's sort of going back to what we talked about earlier, being flexible on your relocation package, that's going to be a big deal and an increasingly big deal because basically what's happened now is all of your homeowners are really kind of stuck. So it's more difficult to move and change if that's your situation. Uh, Whereas a renter, probably much more flexible, but even on that side of things, renting is much more expensive right now. So being able to help somebody from that uh, side of things will increase the size of your candidate pool. And then again, being flexible from a work schedule standpoint, whether that's implementing a 980 schedule. I've talked to a few clients who are looking at that, offering your people some sort of hybrid schedule. Maybe they're able to work from home one day a week when they've got a lot of computer work to do or something like that. I think just offering little perks like that is a way to increase your talent pool, fill your job more quickly, and just, yeah, helping people feel desired. I mean, we always talk about in this market, people want to feel wanted. People yeah. always want to feel wanted, but especially in when there's a ton of people trying to get at you, um, trying to get your attention. Um, like I said earlier, a lot of people are getting multiple offers. So make sure that you make people feel wanted. Like you are the, we want you to come here. You know, Don't just leave. The silence speaks volumes. Don't let that speak for you. Yeah, that's great. That is great advice. That is really great advice. If you were going to flip this and turn it, if you could give one piece of advice to engineers and other individuals looking to secure a new role, what would it be? I actually have two things. So first one would be periodically take time to reflect on where you are and where you want to go. Um, Because I think a lot of people jump into a job search either out of dissatisfaction or boredom. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons people do it, but sometimes those are the reasons. And I 
I think then you're kind of wading into waters without a clear idea of where you want to go, what you want to do, what you want to achieve. So taking that time every you know, couple of years to sit down and say, okay, what do I like? What have I liked so far? Do I want to do more of that? What do I want to grow in? How do I want to challenge myself? I think that will help give you a clear picture of what that next step looks like. So when you do enter the, you know, that job search, you've got a clear idea of what your objectives are. And the second thing would be, again, I keep harping on the resources, but there's so many resources available. Um, and they're not just through me. I mean, the career coaching is, we don't get anything out of those relationships. I just want people to be connected to other people, to other people in this industry who can help. And two of those people are chemical engineers. One of them is the civil engineers. So they're all engineers. They've all worked in this industry. So they know what they're doing. They can help you with their experience. Take advantage of mentors if your company offers a mentorship program. And even if they don't, if there's another senior engineer there, it doesn't have to be a formal program. Just say, hey, can we grab lunch? Can I pick your brain? That sort of thing. I, I've, not, I've yet to meet a single experienced engineer that doesn't want to do that sort of thing. So... I think even within the industry, there's a lot of help out there for people who are younger, who are coming up. Um, those are those would be my two biggest pieces of advice uh, for people who are thinking about looking, starting to look, etc. Yeah, that's really great. And in fact, I know you've got you shared with me one of the resources was your salary survey, which if you're okay with that, I will um, connect that onto the show notes for this episode. So people have access yeah. to it. Yeah. Awesome. It's something I've been keeping up to date since 2015, updating it every couple of years. And it's gotten a lot more advanced now because I've used technology. Um, but I just updated it this week. Um, it's got almost like 850 data points. So awesome. I think it's pretty robust resource and there's nothing else I've seen out there like it. I know AICHE does one and chemical processing yeah. does one, but they're, and those are great. I mean, I'm not not uh, speaking poorly of those resources, but they're, this one's a little bit more specific in terms of at least uh, compensation. Perfect. And people, we all like to benchmark ourselves and know what we should be targeting and where we're going. So that's awesome. Well, Adam, thank you so much. I really appreciate you joining me today on The Chemical Show. Um, appreciated your insights that you shared. Yeah, thank you, Victoria. I appreciate this opportunity and uh, happy to be a resource in this industry. Awesome. And if people want to get a hold of you or find out more information about Sun Recruiting, how can they do that? We have a website, obviously, sunrecruiting.com. That's basically the the hub of all of our things. We actually have a, it's called the Centrifuge. It's like an industry blog. It's, I don't know, Darius uh, Mordazavi has a better one. So. Ah, yeah, I know Darius. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's so doing a great job with that. I'm not going to tell our blog too much, but we do have our career resources. A lot of the salary stuff I talked about is there. Obviously, I have a LinkedIn page. Anyone can contact me. I'm open to network. So those would be the two easiest ways to get a hold of me or us. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you for joining me today, Adam. And Thank you everyone for joining us and listening to this episode of The Chemical Show. Keep listening, keep following and sharing, and we will talk to you again soon.